What is up, podcast listeners? Thank you for giving me a few moments of your day to listen to this podcast. This is the Matt Baxter Show. I'm your host, Matt Baxter, and this podcast is about purpose, passion, and calling. Super stoked to have you as a listener because we're going to dive into some awesome, intense stories about people who are going through this journey of this thing called life, and we're all just figuring this out together. But seriously, you're giving me a little bit of your time, and I want to make sure it's valuable and worthwhile. So have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was getting this podcast off the ground, we first started as the Wedgecast, evolved into the Matt Baxter Show. There was a lot of questions that we had, like, how do I record an episode? How do I get my show in all the different places like Spotify, Apple Music, Anchor, Zencaster, all these different places. And yet it just seemed very, very complicated. But the simple thing for us as we began to navigate the waters is the answer to every single one of these questions, questions excuse me, was really simple. It's Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free. Yeah, free. And it's ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise in your podcast. That means you can get paid podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, making money. Okay, it's sweet. It's easy. It's not a big cheap plug on an ad, but it's just simple and easy to use. So for us, it's one of the best parts about it is we can do it entirely remote or in studio. So you can record, you've got that really, really high, you know, high in the sky person that you're going to have as a guest on your podcast. You got to do it remote. Anchor is easy to use. You got people who are willing to come to your studio, your house, your office, wherever you're recording it. Boom. Anchor. Love it. Simple, easy, simple and easy to use. So if you ever want to start a podcast, make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start. Join me in the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. Can't wait to hear your podcast. What is happening, Wedgecast listeners? I'm stoked for this episode. It's an absolute honor. I'm hanging out with the former Lieutenant Governor Brian Kelly. He was a former Lieutenant Governor in the state of Michigan, served under Governor Rick Snyder. Also, he is the current president of the Small Business Administration for the state of Michigan. He's had macro impacts as far as uh, making the state a better place and, 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 and really working through some really difficult, challenging issues, but doing so with just an abundance of energy. And now he's having a great impact on the state as far as helping small businesses grow and, and firmly believes in the foundation of which small businesses are. So that gets me all geeked up and excited. I just am blown away and honored by the opportunity that I had just to have the chance to chat with him and also what I've learned and, and just his humble approach to leadership. I think he's great. I think you're going to like this episode. Brian Kelly, thank you for being a guest on the Wedgecast. Well, Brian, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. My pleasure. Great to be with you. So I, I, I was thinking, you know, as we're getting ready to do the podcast, you're uh, musically talented. So you could have, uh, rather than us talking about it, we could have, you know, sung our way through it or played the piano our way through it or something like that, too. How long have you been, uh, how long have you been a musician? I, uh, I start, I've, well, first of all, I've always loved music and singing along with whatever was uh, on the radio has, has been something ever since I can remember, but it wasn't really until high school that I started playing piano, and I, I had a song. My favorite song was Let It Be, Beatles, Paul McCartney, and um, I just was determined I'm going to learn how to play Let It Be, 
and I sat down at the piano with the music. My mom's a pianist, and um, I just kind of plunked it out. I figured out kind of how the keyboard worked. I looked at the notes, and then uh, Paul McCartney does a lot of what a lot of chording, what's called chording. He plays chords, and uh, he does a lot more than that. But that's kind of the basis of the song "Let It Be." It just kind of clicked when I figured out how "Let It Be" worked. I I could all of a sudden play the piano. So it was. Uh, I never really learned how to how to read music per se, but uh, it's been a real passion since then. Huge part of my life. That's amazing. So it wasn't even like sitting down. Hey, I want to figure out how to play the piano. It was literally. I want to learn how to figure. I want to figure out how to play. Let it be on the piano, and everything else will fall into place. Yeah, it was. I, I didn't even. It wasn't like I'm trying to figure out how to play the piano. It was, I just wanted to play. Let it be. And awesome. uh, that, that just kind of um, that just kind of unlocked it, like unlocked the secret of the piano, like how it worked, how chords work, how harmonies work. And um, it it just turned into a passion from there. So if I know a song well enough, you know, like I'm really familiar with a song, I can usually figure it out on the piano. It sounds close enough to uh, to get by. Uh, but I, I, I always kind of feel like even though I play a lot, and um, and it, I think it sounds pretty good when I do. I do kind of feel like I'm faking it still, even all these years later. Huh, that's fascinating. So it, it, we'll dive in, obviously, to, to, to work and some of the amazing things that you've done. But is, is music and playing the piano for you? Is it a like personal learning challenge or is it more of like a getaway safe haven that you can you know escape other things going on in your mind? I mean, what is it for you? That, that music really, what, what touch point does it do for you in your life? It, it's, uh, I guess that from time to time it might be um, kind of a de-stressor or, or an escape, but for the most part, it's more like a hobby, just something I love doing. So it's, awesome. uh, it, whether I, I, I'm feeling good or I'm not feeling good, I mean, music's still a part of, part of it. So it's, um, it's just something that I developed a, a passion for and I mean I've never gotten away from it I mean it was almost like an accidental thing I always loved music but I didn't intend to be you know I played piano at my church and um, I didn't wouldn't have ever imagined that I would have played a role like that um, out of just deciding hey I think let it be sounds really good I'd like to be able to play that <laughs> have you last question on this have you uh have you played let it be in front of a crowd of people before Oh yeah, many times. I I um I play with a uh a a band um it's called in in Michigan called the Persuaders. And um I I mean they're a band without me, but I play uh gigs with them, you know, maybe 3 4 times a year. And Beatles are always classic rock is always a, a major part of it. So uh, there's there but I actually played it in my high school graduation. I ended up playing it as a kind of a memorial to a few students that had passed away throughout the, the in that grade throughout the years and uh, so it was it was really one of my first big public performances in music was that song that's amazing that's so cool what an awesome story so if you're willing obviously there's you know some information about you know reading about you online there's obviously you've been very involved in the political scene in the state of Michigan and you're doing some amazing work for small businesses in the state as well too but I'd love just to hear your story about sort of what what led up to where you're at today 
Well, I never expected to be frontline politics. I was in, interested in politics from a pretty young age. I right back down to uh, oh, I would say um, you know, 13, 14 years old when I really started paying attention to what was going on in politics and public policy. And um, and then uh, just I liked it. I thought it was interesting. And my family are full of political debaters. You know, just Thanksgiving and Christmas, and it's not. It wasn't unusual for my dad and my uncles to just kind of break out in some big political argument. But it was their entertainment. You know, so people political arguments don't. They don't. They don't seem rude to me. They just seem pretty normal. <laughs> So some and, families, uh, uh, so they go on that, five, 5K runs. Some families, you know, watch the Lions, and your family debated politics on Thanksgiving. <laughs> it, it was it was political debates, epic political <laughs> debates, yeah. And uh, so I so I was kind of conditioned for it that way. Um, but growing up, that wasn't what I wanted to do uh, for a living. I, when I, I went through several phases uh, growing up and wanted to be a, a veterinarian and um, – my and just kind of going through the the process of of growing up i um i got interested in politics i volunteered in politics uh, but i became a banker kind of fell into that job it was a nice summer job in the mail room of a bank when i was just finishing high school and 10 years later i was a commercial loan officer at a bank and so um that's just what i did for uh, for a living but about halfway through that uh, my political volunteerism turned into a part-time elected office. I was um, uh, an Ionia County, a rural county where I did most of my growing up, still live there today. Um, there was uh, a friend of mine got elected to the Board of Commissioners and said, you know, we could use some financial know-how on this board. You're a banker. What, what do you think? And I thought about it and what the heck? I didn't even know who my county commissioner was at the time. <laughs> and uh, whether I was going into a hard race or an easy race, but I thought, ah, what the heck, I'll, that sounds really interesting. So I ran, and uh, the guy was just waiting to retire, and um, and so he decided not to run, and I, I was unopposed. My first political race, I was unopposed in the primary and the general election, and I, I've I've got to say I, I highly recommend unopposed races. <laughs> well, I was about way, to say, yeah, you, you know, so uh, yeah. you got to quit while you're on top. That's about as easy as it gets, right? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a good it was. Setup. <laughs> uh, when, so I, I served on the board for about four years, uh, the county board of commissioners for four years, and um, enjoyed a lot of success. And we got a lot of things done. I just loved uh, the work. Felt like I was getting pretty good at it. And uh, at that time, the the state's economy was just kept on going down. Um, the, you know, after 9-11, the U.S. economy went into a recession and the rest of the country came out of it, but Michigan never did. Michigan stayed in a recession for about 10 years. And um, I was I was a business loan officer and I saw the big impact that small business made to, uh, to communities, and yet our state's economic development policies were very unfavorable to them. And they were always looking at how do you convince somebody from someplace else in the world to come in here and save us rather than um, how do we build an environment of success around the people that are already here. And uh, so that's why I ran. I decided I was going to run for the state legislature and straighten out the state. And um, I ran and I won. Um, it was a tough, tough primary. Um, general election was a little easier uh, for me, but um, but won. And um, it, 
was a frustrating four years in the state house. It was um, I was outnumbered. Republicans were in the minority in those days, and the people that saw the world that I did were outnumbered by the people that had a very different idea of, of where we should go. I thought about maybe getting back into banking because I didn't feel like I was making that big of a difference. Um, most of the time, when you work in the minority, um, a lot of times your role is kind of making bad less bad, but you're not driving the agenda because you just don't have enough votes. And um, that's when I met Rick Schneider, the man who would become governor. And uh, we really hit it off. He became a friend throughout his campaign. I didn't think he was going to win. Came out of nowhere, never held political office. He was, when I first met him, he was at like 2% in the polls. And, um, but he, he just, it was a grind, but he kept at it. He had a really great ad campaign and was something fresh and new and different and interesting and exciting. And uh, he won his primary. I had decided I was going to run for Senate and I won my primary. And he called me a few days later and said, I'd like you to, to leave your primary win for the Senate and, and join as lieutenant governor, as a lieutenant governor candidate on my ticket. And uh, I acted like I thought about it for me, but I decided right then, like, yes, I want to do this. And um, in, in that way, we went on to win, won by a lot. That election was a lot. It was, it was kind of one of those Republican wave elections in 2010, and so we, we won by a pretty wide margin. And uh, then I was, and so I found myself in you know, a relatively short period of time, went from being a, a banker in a local community bank to um, to being lieutenant governor with a total reinvention of the state. Was there for eight years. We were reelected in 14, and it was um, it was awesome. It was an amazing experience to turn the state around. We went from the bottom to top 10 in a lot of ways and income growth population turned around started growing again led detroit out of bankruptcy it's an awesome comeback city today 550,000 new private sector jobs we dealt with debt in our state like no other state has where we have uh, about 20 billion less in debt today than we did when we started and um, the rainy day front went from basically zero to over a billion dollars saved up for for a rainy day. I mean, it, it, our our state is in such a different position. Great leadership by Rick Rick Snyder, and uh, it's just awesome to be part of that team. And then um, I ran. Uh, I actually ran for governor myself in 2018, and it just didn't didn't work out. It was not my year. Uh, the president endorsed a different Republican. That Republican won the primary, and then went on to get kind of clobbered in the general election. And um, and so uh, I decided to get back to my uh, back to my the roots of my passion with small business and join the small business association as president and and just lo loving it. I mean, this is uh, it's an awesome mission, great people, and um, working with really the salt of the earth, small business owners, community leaders in every county of the state of Michigan and in every industry you can think of. Twenty-seven thousand members in our association, so it's. It's for small business, but it's a very big association, and um, and and we're just we're out to change the world. I love it. I love it. And I I want to dive in a little bit to the small business side of things in a second. Um, mainly, that's a huge part of my heart as I I run a small company myself. So I I definitely want to dive into that. One quick question that I have, just of like somebody who comes from the business world that transitions into politics. Um, it, Talk to me about the pace difference of, or if there is one, between 
the world of banking and you know business loans and 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 the speed at which things are happening to the speed at which things are happening in the political world is there are they relatable or are they not comparable i mean what what is that like you know, I'm going to say something here that might sound a little bit counterintuitive, and anybody listening to this might say, how could that possibly tr be true? But the pace of things in a governor's office is 100 times faster than anything I've ever experienced anywhere else. You'd think because government doesn't move quickly, you and it takes so long for things to change in government, you would think, well, that must be... Um, you know, much slower or calm pace, but really it is when you when you work in a governor's office, the breadth and the scope of the issues that you deal with are so vast, and the territory and the people that you deal with are so diverse across the expanse of a state as big as this one. There's always an emergency somewhere about something. Like there's never a time when it's just, you know, you set every day you have a full schedule. But you're never really in control of your schedule because the circumstances often dictate what you have to do. You have to be very um, nimble and make a lot of decisions in um, with uh, with without the type of um, you don't always have time to reflect as much as you want with the pace of things that are coming at you and the volume of communications that are coming in and dealing with the media. On top of that, while you're trying to, to to think about, contemplate, and build policy for the future, so it's one of these. It's a hybrid job, being governor, where you are building policy for the future, while in being an administrator, manager of an enormous organization. In the case of Michigan, about uh, almost 50,000 employees. And um, in a in a very complicated and and um, competitive and confrontational um, political environment, so it's it's intense at a whole different level than anything I've ever seen or experienced before. Yeah, and th this made me this made me think about so for somebody who deals with small businesses and the care of individual people and running companies and employees of companies to being at a level where you're making decisions that impact a vast number of people. You've, you've alluded to this a couple of times about making a difference for you. How, how have you gone about defining like making a difference from both a macro level and a micro level? Because obviously you've done so uh, at a much, much higher scale in the government role, but also you've done so in the, the you know attitude of affecting business owners and your family and stuff like that. So I guess what do you define as making a difference? Does that question make sense? Yeah, it sure does. And and even, no matter what position you have, changing the world is really hard. But changing the part of the world that you're in, it's not it's not that hard. And that's the um, and I think that's the mindset of the attitude that you have to take. I mean, we each of us have a sphere of influence and each have a reach to the things that we do. Um, when, when in my case, when you're the Lieutenant governor and you have the, the ear of the governor and the trust of the governor um, and a, and a good relationship with the legislature. Yeah. That reach on a macro level, the opportunities there are enormous. And uh, so I, I'd look at things like um, 
autism, for example, and we did autism insurance reform, and it literally changed the the lives of tens of thousands of of people in a very positive way. But when when that bill passed, and the governor was visiting troops in Afghanistan at that time, so I'm the one who personally I personally signed that bill, and it was it was it was awesome. It was one of my favorite moments. But there's still just words on a piece of paper until somebody brings them to life. And uh, that's the part of the job that um, that I found most rewarding was when I could see the policies that we worked on turn into action on the ground. Somebody picked it up and you know, an autism service provider opened up and hired behavioralists and they're working with kids with autism and they can do that because we made the policy change. And now these kids are getting services and it culminates in a thing. I was on a plane one time and the lady tapped me on the shoulder right behind. She said, excuse me, are you Brian Kelly? And I said, "Yeah, I've kind of sheepishly because you never know. Like, <laughs> like it's just yeah, a happy yeah. Are you about or, to or, so or somebody about person. to get mad at you or something? And, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and you're on a plane. You know, there's nowhere you can go. And um, but she said, my son has autism. And, uh, when in because of what you did, it it changed everything for our family. It it just it it we were we were trapped. We were locked in. We couldn't." get to his potential or help him. And now we can because of that. So I thank you for that. I could live, uh, even though that's the micro impact, right? That's the individual family impact. Um, that's that's where the rubber meets the road. That's the place that it just it breaks through like all the stuff and politics that is nasty and difficult and negative. It's worth it for a minute like that. Yeah, that's powerful. What a story. So transition, I guess, same line of thinking, but that into small businesses. So what is it? So I, I, I will admit, I, I kind of have to sit back and laugh for a second because you, you talk about how in the midst of being lieutenant governor, you never are really in control of your schedule. I mean, it's it's like you can have a day planned out, but yet you're going to have so many fires that you have no idea are about to come even in that day. And I'm not saying I can relate to yep. that at that scale, but as a small business owner with employees and clients, I that, that happens to me constantly. So I, I, I can see how, I don't know, is there, is there that side of things that you love being involved in small businesses? And I guess ultimately, what is it that gets you fired up about small businesses? First of all, small businesses are, they are the, they are the community. They're the ones that create the majority of the opportunity out there. Um, they create the majority of the jobs, even a state like Michigan, where we have, we, we are blessed to have so many huge international companies headquartered here that, but they all started as small businesses. And, um, you know, people think of like Kellogg cereal or Ford or Dow or, um, Meyer, you know, these, these names that people know all over the country and all over the world to them, people think, you know, those are fortune 500 companies to us. Those are family names in Michigan. Those are people like we, we know the we know the people, we know the families. And um, and so and so that the idea of of small business here is um, it's something that's just in our DNA entrepreneurship. It's in in our DNA, and and the reason that I love to advocate so much for small business because we do we do business services at the association, but we also do advocacy within public policy, like to try and get certain laws changed or defend laws that we like how they are. Um, the reason I love working on behalf of small, small business so much is because these are the these are the people that um, that that really make our our communities 
work. They know what it means to just put themselves completely on the line. Their their talent, their treasure, their capital, their reputation, they put it all out there. And um, their sweat payroll and when and and trying to trying to grow and, and a lot of times it means they're not taking a paycheck so they can pay their employees. I mean, these are such good people and they do such amazing things and um and and really with a, a nobody knows stress like a business owner uh, especially a small business owner there's a um th- there's so many people that depend on you and because and, and with small business it's not like you've got you know a, a huge team of people to delegate and assign stuff to there's so much on the shoulders of the person who owns the company and uh, and to think of somebody that has so much passion for whatever whatever it is that they do, um, I just love being on their team. I just love to to be a part of the energy and the opportunity that is created by entrepreneurs. So that that last comment about you love being on their team, and I think I think you made the comment earlier on that you didn't really anticipate uh, being in the front line of politics. So. Would you say in your life you prefer being on the front line or you prefer being maybe a backseat team member sort of supporting somebody? Do you have a do you have a preference? And not saying that being well, on somebody's yeah, team. Yeah, you know, line, a lot but... of my career a, a lot of my career, whether it was in public or private sector and the t- time I spent working, um, a lot of times I was a lieutenant. I mean, I was like the number two guy, the one who would kind of get it done, take the like We've got a team, and the team makes a decision, and somebody's got to carry it through and make it happen. I've always been comfortable in that role, but you know, Rick Snyder um, helped me to make a transition a little, um, a little while back. The former governor of Michigan, um, when when we were a couple years into our administration, one thing he said to me was, "No, Brian, you've gotten this far because you um, you're smart and you work really hard, but if you." If you want to broaden your impact, you want to make a bigger impact, you've got to get better at getting smart people to work hard for you. And um, and that, I mean, it kind of it hit me like like that. That really is it's it works on so many different levels because yeah, it broadens your impact and the work because there's only so much one person can do. But you're also empowering other people if you if you look at it like this is a bigger team. And um, so now as I'm the president of the Small Business Association, you know, naturally we've got a team of, I don't know, 28, I think, uh, people that work that work here at the Small Business Association. And um, I look at it like my job is to, everybody has their goals, think parts of their job, what the thing that they do for small business. And, and I look at my job as helping each and every one of them achieve the goals that they have. Like their goals are my goals. And my, my job is to help them. And um, so it's not it's not directing, it's not uh, controlling, it's it's being willing to get in the trenches with them and and making stuff happen and um, and that so it's just an approach that I take. So I would say I think of myself less frontline, but these days I think the frontline people need to <laughs> need to um, to to really. Uh, to to be a part of of what's happening. It's not about telling people what to do. It's about mentorship and and providing real leadership, which in, which requires being a servant. Love that. I I love the concept of servant leadership, and it's 
something that one day I hope, you know, I can strive towards. And I like to surround myself with people who act like, you know, who, who live that out too. So that's, that's awesome. Um, so transitioning kind of my last big question, one of my favorite questions to ask, but, and I'll ask this in sort of a two part, my, my, my first part of this question is what is the influence and the impact you hope to have as you go about the rest of your career? And then it might relate to this, but ultimately, you know, my favorite question on the planet to ask is like, what is it that gets you out of bed the morning the most? And so I guess part one of that is just, you know, what's the impact you hope to have? And secondly, like, what, what is it about that that gets you so fired up? Well, the, the impact that, that I, I want to have is to just be a part of creating an environment of success so that when people work hard, they just give something their all, whatever it is they want to do with their life, that they have a chance to do that, whether it's a person who has every advantage in life or somebody from a really tough socioeconomic background or a person with a disability or a person who has served their time in prison and is trying to get back on track or, or a person that grew up in foster care or, 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 um, or a person that's struggling with an addiction, to, to create the type of environment out there and across the landscape, all across Michigan where our association operates, where, where people have a shot to, of achieving their, their best self. And um, there's so many ways to, to do that. You know, I, I, I tried to do that when I was in public office um, in, in the association here, one of my real passions is disability employment. People with disabilities have so much talent and ability and determination and perseverance and creativity, and they have to be innovative just to do the things that rest of us take for granted. Those are great qualities for a workforce. So we're doing some, we're, we're launching some work now where we're trying to connect more people with disabilities to the jobs that are open today. We're here from business owners all the time. We can't find enough people to fill these jobs. And uh, and there's a there's a group that's getting overlooked. I mean that kind of stuff, it it exists in creating opportunity for other people that that exists everywhere. And uh, and so it, it, I I'm just real passionate about that. I, I just want people to do well, and uh, and I and I think the that small businesses and, and an association as broad and far-reaching as this one is, it has as much maybe opportunity as, as being a statewide elected official to, to impact people's lives. So I, can, I think of things on a bigger scale that way that, um, yeah, we do group purchasing and best practices and, and, um, and compliance education, and um, we help people with energy efficiency, and we do advocacy in the government uh, level, state and federal governments. Like we do all those things. Those are the day-to-day -day things that we do but the mission is much, much bigger. It's about creating the type of Michigan where people that work hard and have great ideas and just want to give it a go, that they've got the best shot at success. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. I love that. Well, Brian, I, I, I want to, first off, most importantly, I want to say thank you for your service to the, to the state and from a government elected official, but also from the impact that you have on small businesses. And secondly, I want to say thank you for being a guest on my podcast. Well, it's been a pleasure. I'm flattered that you invited me. Is there anything else I want to give you space? Is there anything else you want to leave the audience with? Uh, you know, I think we can't think of anything that just kind of naturally fits in. Yeah, I think it was good. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much. And uh, I appreciate you being a guest. Oh, actually, I, there is one more thing. 
that is relatively new on my list of things to impact, and that is to impact the fighting culture that is developed in our political system, where the, this political fight has permeated into every aspect of regular life, and it's not it's not good. The people in politics have gotten very, very good at dividing people up and magnifying differences and inspiring through anger and resentment and fear. And um, it's it's something that is that's weighing heavily on just our overall, I think, the overall health of our society is something that we really need to, to, to push back against. And so I have um, I, I generally have a couple of asks that I'm trying to to work into every group that I talk to. The first is to avoid the assumption that people who have come to a different conclusion than you on an issue or on a candidate or something like that, avoid the assumption that they're bad because they came to a different conclusion. Because most of the time they're not. It's just about giving people the benefit of the doubt that you would want them to give to you. And then the second thing is to really put in the work and take the time to understand why other people have come to different conclusions, to really get to the heart of the why. Because people have different experiences, they grew up in different environments, they've had different influences on their life, and I think most of the time you'll find that people have perfectly good reasons to coming to a different conclusion. And it doesn't mean that you have to change your mind or that you would change your mind, it just means that you understand. And when people understand each other, I think it builds trust. When people trust each other, they have better relationships, and you can work through differences better that way instead of now, which is, it seems like, just line in the sand after line in the sand, endless fight, and um, and that somehow the political system is just pulling everybody into it. And it's it's really screwing up relationships in a way that I don't think is very healthy. So um, I, I add that um, not because I expect that you know, I'm single-handedly going to change that, but because I, I really do want us to start contemplating the question, what do we expect to have left after this fight? And I'm going to make sure I'm going to do everything that I can that 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 message gets heard. So I that's that's a good word. That's a powerful word. It's something that speaks true to my heart because I I love the idea of disagreement with people and argument for the sake of like uh, an educated discussion to hear why somebody is so heated about something that I fundamentally disagree with. But usually, as you mentioned, too, it's it's for a, a good reason that I'm just as passionate about my side of things too. So I, I love that message. Right. I love that idea. And it, it just, A, it helps you uh, just become more informed. And it secondly, helps you better understand and appreciate other people as well too. So I love it. So I'm going to make sure that gets heard. Good. Well, All thank right. you so much. Well, I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. Catch you later. <laughs>